Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by uh, by Kerry. It's 6 a.m. in the morning where uh, where Kerry is. Um, so we're both in need of uh, extra coffee because it's 11 a.m. here in the UK. Welcome to the show. Thank you for getting up so early um, to, to come on the show and do this. I really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, great to see you. Yeah. So, Kerry, could you introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Uh, my name is Carrie Bosick. I am an adoptive mom, an adoptive sister, an adoption counselor, um, and I also work as a principal uh, with elementary children. Wow. Okay. So we're going to have some great perspectives on this. I'm really looking to forward to, 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 this, uh, to this conversation that we have today. So when we were discussing this before, when we were discussing what we, what we were going to talk about before we started talking about it, we were we came up with a few ideas, and one of the things that you talked about was, you know, what 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 is um, what is trauma, and um, and the fact that trauma is sometimes little things, and sometimes big things, you know. But I think we tend to be thinking of the big things. We uh, we seem to be, I think, a lot. You know, we're kind of like. We seem to become trauma obsessed in some places. Um, so, from from your, you know, kind of like, like your personal experience, where did you, where did you see trauma, the little stuff, playing out? Where where was that? Where was that for you? Um, well, I think an eye opening thing for me was when trauma was defined. Trauma is considered any event that's frightening, dangerous, violent. But then when you look down at what experiences might be traumatic, obviously the big things like physical, sexual, sexual, psychological abuse or neglect, um, natural disasters, family or community violence, but then things that we don't think about, sudden or violent loss of a loved one or serious accidents or life-threatening illness. So then that brings us to our current state of, you know, we have lots of families and kids going through big things with COVID illnesses right now. Those are life-threatening illnesses that is trauma. Trauma is anything that becomes a frightening event for a child. It doesn't just have to be a big thing. Um, it, it's We think of trauma as being, oh, it's just abuse. It's not always just abuse. Sometimes it's just something that scared the child or having a caretaker be really sick. And we have to recognize that that was difficult for them and then help them work their way through that. I've had kids in my office that their traumatic event has been um, a, a divorce in their family or a separation from a parent, and it altered them. Trauma is more than just abuse. And I think we use those terms interchangeably and they're not. Okay. So it's a bit like trauma is we say that beauty we say that beauty is in the behind the eye of the beholder don't we um so it, it it's also almost as if trauma is in the in the heart of the of the beholder it, it's what's going on for that that person um that adult or that or that child so how did you how did you see the, how have you seen this um uh, personally, uh, if that's not too personal a question. 
Well, when I first started doing um, like trainings with trauma and trauma-informed care and trauma-informed parenting, it was eye-opening to me that um, even early um, and even prenatal trauma affects that brain development. So children may have trauma that they don't even realize. So trauma is more than just the physical, I'm going to throw a tantrum because I don't want to do this. It's altered how their brain is developed. And so sometimes that affects their executive functioning, like their ability to organize or their ability to reason things. And that's completely out of their control. It was part of their brain development. So um, I, when I saw that, I realized, you know, sometimes in, um, in the education world and in the adoption world, we always want to give a child a label. This is, this is what's going on. And um, children that have had traumatic events, prenatal or early childhood, that has impacted their brain development are often misdiagnosed as ADD or ADHD um, because those behaviors mimic ADD and ADHD, but that's not truly what's going on. They need some um, executive functioning skills rather than medication and stimulants to help their brain settle down. So before we do this, uh, before we accept these labels, then we need to be cautious about them. Do we need um, do we need to get second opinions? I'm I'm just thinking if this is uh, I, I've I've heard this. Uh, so I had a a, a, um, a, a adoptive mum on called a couple of adoptive mums uh, on with whose kids have got FASD. Uh, and and both of those, uh, Natalie and uh, and Robbie. Uh, so if you want to check those out on the the the, the podcast, uh, guys, it's uh, Natalie Bechone and Robbie Seal. They've uh, they've got episodes uh, interviews with them um, in the back catalogue. Uh, they both talked a lot about. It. They both talked about this misdiagnosis. How, how um, it, it, the only thing that pops into my head on this subject is getting second opinions or maybe digging a bit deeper. Often I think we get, we get white coat syndrome. So we, we believe these people because they've got white coats when maybe our gut is telling us something else or the symptoms don't. Talk. But this is just me making this up. Um, have you got any, uh, perhaps a more informed and, and, and practical uh, suggestion given given what you said that these these symptoms are sometimes misdiagnosed. I think once that conversation starts, the first move doesn't be need to be okay. We're going to put this kid on medicine, or we're going to let's take a step back and see are there some skills we need to teach the child first, and maybe once we teach them these skills, maybe they won't have this issue, or maybe if we do a coping mechanism or do some reinforcement of executive functioning, then we may find that those behaviors diminish or go away. If that's the case, then, you know, hard medication and things that could do long-term effects on their body isn't reasonable. Um, and if a child has more traumatic brain development and not so much uh, some of these diagnoses that would even require medication, the medication does nothing. And then it just creates a whole cycle of frustration for the child, for the parent. 
um, this isn't working, this isn't working. And then we start to build that idea. We create a new traumatic event in the child, I'm flawed because it's repetitive and it's constant. There's something not right, there's something not right. And then we have created new trauma that we didn't mean to create. Yeah, yeah. So you taught, so maybe we need to slow these things down um, and we'd be, you know, you started to, you mentioned uh, before we started recording about having a, a dialogue. Maybe we need to be um, maybe slowing the process down a little bit, asking what the, um, asking the experts what we can do before we go to, uh, to, to drugs, um, maybe look at this executive functioning stuff and just exploring it rather than taking the, the you know, the drastic steps straight off. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, now, you were talking about last time when we did the pre, uh, pre, pre-recording session, you, you were talking about this idea and it really rang true to me, n- not becoming our child's trauma. Um, so I was wondering, could you talk a little bit in, into that um, in terms of starting this dialogue? Sure. Um, so in becoming our child's trauma, we have to, if our child is acting out or having some issues, um, as adults, we have to take a step back and we need to regulate ourselves first, because here's what's going to happen. If an adult does not regulate themselves, check their own emotions, then they could potentially become their child's trauma, either an extreme event that turns into a physical abuse that they never intended to take place, or it creates a mental abuse of the child always feeling like they're not enough. Um, So it's really important as adults that we recognize we have the potential to impact children just based on how we respond to situations. You know, we want to talk about helping a child regulate their own emotions, but you can't do that if you don't regulate your emotions as an adult and how you interact with them. And it can't be, you know, two moves, checkmate. Now this is, this is over. This is what's done. You really have to learn to regulate yourself, know when to walk away, know when to say, you know what, I need a break for a minute. I need to think about this. Um, And then come back and talk calmly about it. When we don't do that is when we do become our child's trauma because we create that event of fearful my parent is so mad at me and I don't know what I've done wrong. And I'm, a, I'm afraid. So there's that frightening event. I'm afraid of what, when I'm going to make them mad like that again, because I don't know what I did to cause it. Yeah. So one of the things that you, you mentioned about this uh, when we were talking about it last time was the fact that, um, that obviously this is un- unintentionally, uh, unintentional. So um, that as soon as, uh, you know, as I'm hearing what you're saying, I'm thinking, well, I could jump straight to that. You know, I, I could jump straight to that. I could jump straight to kind of like beating myself up for my inability to regulate my own emotions. Um, so if that's you, listeners, <laughs> if you're feeling like me, <laughs> um, I'd, uh, I would hope that you can kind of um, stop beating yourself up. Uh, and also if you can, if you can go a little bit further as well, if you can stop beating yourself up about beating yourself up, (laughs) 
Am I making any sense? Is this making any sense to you, Carrie? Or is this just welcome to the world of Simon? Simon's a bit of a nutter. <laughs> it does make sense. Because here's the way I think of it. When we make it, it's just like anything. When you make a mistake, you either just quit. Well, we, we're not going to quit parenting and discard the child. But you learn from it and you grow. It's like riding a bike. How many times did you fall off that bike before you learned to ride it? We're going to make mistakes as parents, and that's okay. It's when you don't recognize the mistake and you continue to make it that you become the trauma for your child. So it, it's, it's, it's a safe space to make a mistake because we all make mistakes. And then it's a good teaching point for your child. You know what? Mom messed up. I made a mistake. And we need to learn as parents to apologize to our children when we make a mistake. We have this culture of, the parent is always right. You know, it's my way or the highway, but that's not really the case. We have to be willing to say, you know what? I was wrong and I'm sorry and I'm going to fix this. Yeah. So I, I found that. Um, so me and my wife haven't got any kids. We've got two Labradors and two, two Cooney Cooney pigs. We have, but we have, we have who live in the, in, in our, you know, in a little field next to our yard or garden, as we would say in the UK. Um, so, uh, well, I've done a lot of work in, um, in, in, in what you call elementary schools, primary schools. And I found that vulnerability. I found, I felt that kids are kind of shocked by that vulnerability. If an adult says, so I've, I've shared how, for example, I've shared how I felt when I was bullied, when I was about their age. And they kind of, they really, um, they seem to really under they they seem to really rate that they're slightly they're slightly surprised that an adult is vulnerable to to them. I mean, what what's your what's your take on this about uh, how how vulnerable? Because that that vulnerable that vulnerability and you know putting our hands up and saying I'm I messed up I'm going to try and learn. Uh, how how common is that? How how common is that? Do you do you feel amongst um, parents? Um, not common enough. I think it needs to be more common, and that's when we make connection with kids. I mean, you get down on their level and you talk to them and you say, you know what? I know this is hard. I made a mistake, or there have been times. Um, I'm always incredibly impressed with my school guidance counselor when she's dealing with kids. I mean, she just drops down to whatever level they're on. And she says, I understand that you're feeling this way. There was a time when I felt a similar way, if she can find a connection. Um, and usually because, you know, they're fidgeting or they're looking down, but that's when they stop and they look at her like, really? There's somebody else that has felt the way that I'm feeling right now. You know, I understand that you're frustrated. Sometimes I feel frustrated too. And they're like, oh yeah, this is okay. An adult has felt this way. So it's okay if I'm feeling this way. Yeah. Because kids yeah. look to adults for how they react and how they should feel. And sometimes they're afraid to say, I'm sad or I'm frustrated because if they don't see the adult doing it, they think it's wrong. Yeah. Because they yeah. really pattern how their behavior on modeling. And if they don't see that make a mistake learn from it grow from it then they don't know they just think 
oh, I'm, there's something really wrong with me. Yeah. So a, a mentor of mine, um, a guy called Mike, Michael Neal, talks about emotophobia. So emotophobia um, uh, is, is this uh, fear of feeling bad. So if we, if, we, if we are vulnerable and share the, uh, the, the, the tougher emotions with our child, then we are not setting them up to be worried about being worried, you know. Um, right. So I, I, I've, I've been, here, yes, here, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it now, right, it, it, unintentionally. Uh, I was talking to this guy, Michael, Neil about um, the fact that I'm worried about I, I you know I, I I am right so when I talked to him this was about probably three or four years ago I said I'm worried about being worried so then you can then you can become so I've done all this work and I'm still worried so now I've got really got something to worry about and it becomes a, a spiral a, vort, a, a, a vortex down so if we are up front with the fact that we don't always feel great with our kids, then they learn that it's kind of, it's okay not to be okay. Whereas we live in this world where most people are putting, you know, they're putting their uh, game face on, aren't they? Especially on social media, they're only talking about the good stuff. So we think, um, okay, well, that's, that's what their lives are like. Their lives are, um, uh, unicorns and, and and rainbows, um, and we compare ourselves to them, and we we compare we compare what's going on inside us with their outsides. We compare our insides with their outsides. Their outsides are all uh, sweetness and light. We would say here in the UK, but uh, you know, sweetness and light. But what's going on inside us is sourness and dark. And we think there's something. We think there's something wrong with us because we're not feeling good, and we don't really want that in in our kids, do we? No. And you know, social media, while it has its benefits, has created this whole comparison culture that's an absolute thief of our joy. And we forget that that's one snippet. That's like thirty seconds of what's going on in their life. It's not their whole day. It's the highlight reel. Um, and, and kids are growing up in this culture and they're learning that the high right, highlight reel is what's the most important. And as parents, it's our job to rein them back in and say, you know what? Sometimes there are good things that happen and we want to share those good things, but there's also some not great things that happen. And that's why you have your family unit to support you and, and um, to recognize we make mistakes, we learn, we grow, we move on. And that's something as a parent I had to learn. When my kids are completely unregulated, sometimes I have to take a step back and calm myself down and say, you know what, I'm going to make this worse if I wait in like this. So I need to take a minute. And so even my youngest son will say, mommy, are you frustrated? Mm -hmm, I am. And I will talk to you when I'm not frustrated. That's amazing. So, amazing. Um, but I mean, it took to the fourth kid before I could verbalize. <laughs> I'm frustrated. I can't do this with you right now. Um, and it's a learning process. And as parents, so it's, there's where then we need to create the dialogue with new parents, seasoned parents and new parents. You know what? There are going to be days where you are going to be frustrated. Say that out loud. I'm frustrated. I'm having a hard time with 
fill in the blank. Say it out loud, say it to your spouse, say it to your partner, say it to your kid. And then when you verbalize it, then you create that culture in your home and that environment for your child that mistakes are okay and we're gonna grow from them. And that's how we start not becoming our child's trauma when we acknowledge that we're making mistakes. Yeah. This idea, the kids are happy with the learning curve, aren't they? They're happy with the learning curve, and then, and then somewhere along the way, um, so they don't, they, they don't think kids don't think there's anything wrong with them because they um, fall over when they're learning to walk. But as adults, we kind of, we start, we learn to beat ourselves up. We, we somehow believe, especially, I mean, it seems to be, uh, this seems to be um, part of parenting. It's, it, it's also it's part of business as well, actually. You know, it's part, it's part of adult life. So whether you look at, uh, you know, um, as uh, adults as parents or adults as um, in, the, in the workplace, we seem to have quite a lot of, impatience we time we kind of forget that this is we 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 forget that it's a learning curve and we start beating ourselves up because we haven't been that we're not far enough the learning curve whether we're talking about this learning curve of uh, regulation or emotional intelligence why does that why does that happen i don't know I think we have, it's a perfectionist syndrome. If it's not perfect, it's not okay. Well, perfect looks different for different people. Um, and, you know, I like how you said that it's not even just as parenting, it's in the workplace. Sometimes you have to say, you know what, I messed up, but I'm going to fix it. Um, but I, I, I would call it perfectionist syndrome. It's, and we, like you said, a baby doesn't think they've messed up when they fall over, but as they grow up in this culture of perfectionist syndrome, they learn that if I don't do everything right, then I've done something wrong. Yeah. You, you heard, I'm sure you, being an educationist, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the, uh, the Carol Dweck, this Carol Dweck lady, have you heard of her? Carol uh-huh. Dweck. Um, she, Dweck is spelled D-W-E-C-K. Um, she's 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 the found she's the creator of this uh, growth this thing called a growth mindset a growth mindset oh, yeah yeah, yeah um, so growth mindset is all over my building like that's a that's how i approach my teachers that's how they approach their kids it's all yeah. about it's not i did this wrong it's i can do this better okay um is there is there anything that you could share to go into that a little bit a bit deeper because for me it was quite liberating reading that book um i love that you brought that up and i think i'm going to look at that differently like when i'm training new adoptive families of of pulling that i find so much that my world's crisscrossed but i need to pull that growth mindset into parenting training you're going to make a mistake and that's okay We just can't stop there. We have to learn to grow. And I think we need to now, we need to pull that into, um, you know, coming back to adoption. When we're training adoptive parents, 
we need to make sure we are educating them about a growth mindset, a growth mindset for themselves and a growth mindset with their children. Um, because it goes back to that perfectionist syndrome. They have this idea in their head of what their family is going to look like. And as their child grows and develops and their behaviors or the things going on with the child doesn't fit their perfectionist syndrome, then the wheels fall off and, and things can go sour really quickly. Um, but if we train them and teach them about growth mindset and make that not just an education term, but just a life term, that we, we just need that in life to yeah. have that growth mindset and make it more normal for all aspects of life, not just in education. Yeah. The, the, the thing that really stuck out for me the, the book's great. Um, it takes a long time to say something that is can, you can sum up in one word, and that uh, and that word is yet, right? So uh, if we took if if we took Carol Dweck's education stuff and we brought it to the conversation that we've been having. Um, I would say, to sum to sum it up, I would say, I can't, I can't regulate myself, one hundred percent of the time yet. So I think that's reasonable. So, but it's also a slippery slope because if you have a child that has um, severe disabilities or that they're yet they're not, they're just not going to be the same. You know, I have four children and their rate of development is very different. So I might say yet for one child and he's still not there because oh. of his disability. So we've got to be really careful about what we tag that yet to, because there are some things they may not be able to do. Great. So we as parents have to accept, you know what, if they don't reach that point, it's okay. Yeah. Sorry. I wasn't clear. I meant myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> I meant myself. So yeah. I meant myself and, and you and the listeners. So if we can say um, this expectation thing is is is, is critical, uh, it's critical, it's crucial. Somebody was talking to me about that uh, yesterday. I was talking to another adopted mum about her expectations. And, you know, if we, uh, oh, yeah, no, it was an adoptee. It was an adoptee. He said that he went into searching for his birth mum with no expectations at all. If we have no expectations at all, then we can't be let down. Now, that's kind of like easier said than done, but it's an interesting idea. Um, it's an interesting idea that plant, planted a seed in, in, in my head about no expectations, right? So we, I've heard this with, with, uh, with Natalie and uh, Robbie as well, when they've talked about their kids with FASD, the whole thing is about expectations, expectations of their ability, of their executive functioning skills. That, that's what they, she was talking about. Here I'm talking about our, um, uh, our, uh, you know, uh, our, our own expectations. We're talking about our own ability to self-regulate. So being better could say, right, well, I reckon I, uh, I, I, my ability, I can't regulate my own as as an adult, I, as an adult, uh, and I'm going to try this myself in the swimming pool, right? Because I I get frustrated with slow people in front of me, right? 
or when it's too busy, obviously when it's too busy and I can't do my lengths and all that sort of stuff, right? So um, I can't regulate myself in the pool 100% of the time. So I reckon I'm regulating myself 70% of the time. I'd like to move to be a bit better. So I'd like to regulate myself 80% of the time. And then we're looking at something that we've, we've, we're, we're self-aware and in, we're self-aware we've we're we're putting a line in the sand we're not beating ourselves up because we're only at this level of self-regulation but we are um uh, we're setting a target a little bit of a target that we're going to be get a little bit better and instead of beating ourselves up because the thing about beating ourselves up is um we'll do it but it never makes the situation any better it never makes the situation any better. It doesn't beating myself up. So I don't know where I came up with all that stuff. But anyway, regulating. How could you do regulating adopted kids? Regulating Simon, impatient Simon in the swimming pool. I don't know. It it, seemed, it just seemed like an interesting way to kind of like break it all down and um, perhaps like make it a bit more practical and um, uh, and a doable something that we do rather than just being a philosophy so yeah yet and and from a parenting from a parenting perspective the word yet and carol dweck is what we can we can share with our child right when the child says i can't do xyz i can't do um tie my shoelaces right you can't tie your shoelaces yet right uh, yeah so it, it's it's the ultimate kind of let's look forward, not back. So this is where you are at the moment, and that's the that's the the essence of the growth mindset. Is this is where we are, but that's not where we're always going to be. Absolutely, and I think bringing that back around to when we talked about trauma, when we set those expectations, sometimes we're setting ourselves up to create trauma because we don't set reasonable expectations. And, um, you know, I grew up with a very religious background. And in the Old Testament, there's a section where it talks about without a vision, the people perish. If you don't set a goal for your growth, you're not going to go anywhere. You know, you have to, when I plant a seed in the ground and I'm expecting to grow a tomato plant, I have a goal in mind. I plan to harvest this particular um, food from my plant. I have a goal. I have a vision. I have a plan. And we have to do that with our kids. Sometimes you need to back that vision back a little bit. Maybe your vision is just to, you know what, I want to get all the way through the day without, with one emotional meltdown versus three emotional meltdowns. And if they don't, then at the end of the day, you say, you know what, we're not ready for that yet. Tomorrow we'll try to just have two and, and start from there. And, you know, I look at that with kids in the classroom. Don't set an unrealistic goal. Don't set them up to fail. Let's say, can you have one day where your choices don't um, alter the course of your day that you end up, you know, having to be removed from your classroom? Let's try. And then some kids, that's too much. So we break it into morning and afternoon. Can you get through the morning? Okay, great. Let's reward that. Now let's try the afternoon. You know what? You didn't make it this afternoon. That's okay. Um, let's talk about why. What frustrated you? What triggered you? 
we're going to try again tomorrow. So we haven't met our goal back to that power of yet, but we're going to try again tomorrow. And we have to parent that same way. You know what? We did not get through the day today without anybody getting frustrated or, you know, the room didn't get clean yet, but it's going to, we're going to set a goal. We're going to break it into small pieces. Um, and it's great to be goal oriented, but we have to remember sometimes we don't want to push that target so far off that we can never meet it. I love the power of yet, but make sure that yet is reasonable to accomplish. Yeah. You have yeah. to set kids up to succeed. And sometimes it's baby steps to get there. Um, and that is true for regulating their emotions. It's true for um, anything that they're trying to learn. Don't set them up for failure with unrealistic yets. Yeah. Set them up with small goals that they can accomplish. Yeah. yeah. And we don't want those goals to become toxic goals either, or we don't want to be putting putting stuff putting stuff off because this is another thing that we learn. Um, and I'm talking about we, including me here, right? As adults, we 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 learn. I'll be happy when. I'll be content when. I'll, I'll and then the, the what follows the when is. Uh, is kind of delaying stuff. So um, this this idea came from one of my mentors, a guy called uh, Richard Wilkins, and he says he talks about being a, a creator rather than a waiter. So if we're, yeah. if we're waiting, we're waiting. We're, we're waiting for something to happen, fill in the blank. And then we're going to, we, then we're going to be happy. Then we're going to be at peace. Then we're going to be content. Then we're going to be pleased with themselves. Then we're going to clap ourselves on the back. Whatever it is we're waiting for. And he talks about this in a really simple way. The fact that every good feeling that we've ever wanted is inside our in, in, inside us right now, hmm. waiting for us to let it out. And when I say waiting for us, I'm talking about us as adults. Kids are far better at this. They're happy for no reason whatsoever, aren't they? Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, but as we get older, we learn to kind of um, stop letting the good feelings out. So he says, that, you know, the best place to have a party is inside our head. You know, that let's create in our head uh, and in our heart the stuff that we want to feel right now. Whereas many people are setting toxic goals, which means a toxic goal, which is kind of delaying. It's a, like a delaying tactic. I'll be mm -hmm. happy when I'll be happy when my kid only has two meltdowns a day rather than three let's let's be happy now and that that's why that kind of that no expect you, you know you can maybe experiment with this listeners you know we've talked about different levels of expectation talked about uh this adoptee uh, who's coming on the show in a in a few weeks having no expectations whatsoever well just seeing his birth mother that was going to be you know was kind of going to be enough and he just wanted to see it to thank her. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, 
that's 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 one enlightened being. That's a guy coming from a great place. Uh, anyway. And um, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. You know, you talked about, you know, kids are better at that. Um, and kids are better at bouncing back. I made a, made a mistake. Okay, I'm going to start over. And as adults, we are not. Like, we let that mistake hang on our head for a long time before we can refocus. And kids are watching that. We're modeling that. So they start to think, oh, maybe I should think about that a little bit more. Um, but sometimes as adults, we need to learn from kids. We need to revert back to they are much more adept to that power of yet backing up, recognizing, um, oh, I need to adjust my goal. Um, and as parents, we need to kind of pick up some of their resiliency and be able to recover more quickly rather than hang on to it. Yeah. They just get over quick stuff quicker, don't they? They really do. And at what point do we quit doing that? Well, when do we start like just hanging on to it and hanging on to it? Well, I would say it's like one of those um, stalactite things. Is it stalactites? Do you remember these stalactite and stalagmites? It's some sort of calcium deposit in a in a um, in a cave. So mm -hmm. it, 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 it one of them goes up and one of them comes down. I can't remember which way around it is. Well, it's the the tight is at the ceiling because it sticks tight, and the stalagmite is on the ground because you might trip. <laughs> okay, right. So the 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 the, the um it drips constantly it, it, it drips from the top it drips from the world around us it drips from our parents it drips from our teachers it drips from other kids older kids it drips from all sorts of it drips from the media especially social media it drips it drips down so um uh so i would say you know, it, we are flat. Where this, um, I would say, resilient. Uh, if the opposite of resiliency is fragility, I would say fragility is learnt, and that's what we're talking about. Not having our kids learn that, so it drips from the top, the outside world we start with zero fragility and it and it and it builds up slowly and slowly over time as we learn how to navigate the world from other people who are more fragile than us so we yeah does that make any sense yes it, it it's, yeah, a, it's so. a spectrum isn't it but then, um, so then let's take that metaphor and go from as that continues to drip, it becomes, you know, sometimes those things will meet and it becomes a beautiful formation and less fragile. So if we recognize that um, maybe we have become more jaded or we've lost that, then let's look for the, the beauty in that formation and how can we fix that and, and again, that growth mindset recognize that this is what's developed and maybe I can't change it, but I can recognize it and I can try to find the strength in that. Okay. 
Here's the thing, listener. If you are getting confused by this, and this is all going a little bit off the top, then uh, then the only person to blame is is, is Simon, right? Not you. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not beating myself up about this right right uh, right now. Um, I could quite easily go in that way. By listening to this, you are unlearning stuff, listener. You are unlearning. That's what new perspectives are. We are born. I, I believe that we're born. I, be, I believe that we're born, born resilient. We learn fragility and then we unlearn fragility and we go through stuff and we see how strong we always were. And we listen to, you know, podcast listeners are curious people. They're, they're listening for new insights. And as we listen, we unlearn what the psychologists call the conditioning. And that's what you're doing right now by listening to this strange conversation of stalactites, stalagmites, and the like. We don't normally hit dead air on this show. I know. <laughs> did it make any sense to you what I said? It absolutely did. And, and you know, to kind of even circle back around to things that we talked about, and I re-listened to our last interview last night coming into this, um, of that the we're preventing the trauma and and she's setting the goals. And um, when you think about looking at caves and I really love that illustration, they're beautiful and they make such beautiful um, things to look at and explore. And so that those, the, the fragileness or the mistakes or the learning, um, it all comes back to a thing of beauty. And we have to recognize that there's always good in it and trauma happens and we can't fix it. We, well, we try to fix it, but we can't change it. Um, so we find the beauty in it and we keep growing from it. We let those, because those cave formations never stop growing. So then they become, instead of something that's too delicate, then they become a thing of strength. And, and we use that in our mistakes. We let them become our strengths. Beautiful. I was going to ask you if you could put what I said in better words and you beat me right to it. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I could. Yeah. Um, that feels to me like a great place to, to to bring it in, actually. To you, does that seem right to you? I think, I think so. I think we've 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 addressed what we intended to. I think. Yeah. So thank you very much for um, for coming on, Carrie. I really appreciate it, and I uh, I'm sure the listeners will have uh, learned some interesting stuff from this. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. You're a star. Thanks a lot. Thanks, listeners. See you again soon. Bye-bye.